But uh, hey, welcome today to Mount Perrin, North Canton. We're glad you're here. I hope that you had an incredible Thanksgiving. I hope that you ate just enough turkey not to be gluttonous or whatever that looks like. Uh, just enough dessert not to sin there in that way. But uh, I hope you had a great time spending time maybe with folks that you know and love uh, and had a great Thanksgiving season. It is crazy to me that we're in December. December the 1st. That is un- unbelievable to me. But uh, what that signifies for us is that we're jumping into a brand new Christmas series. We're going to look over the next four weeks at the story of Christmas. And today we're going to look at some, we're going to begin looking at some characters of Christmas. Um, you know, this is, this is an incredible story. And stories are something that I love. I love to read. I've always loved to read. I love to watch television and movies. And, um, you know, I joke about it a lot. But one of the things that my wife and I love to do is we love to kind of once we put our kids to bed, um, we, we don't go out on a lot of dates because I don't know if you've priced out child care, but for four children, it costs about $1,200 to, to get child care for one evening. So what we do is we put our kids to bed and then we just kind of turn on Netflix or something and we watch a movie or we've got a television series that we're kind of catching up on or watching or whatever. And so we love to do that. And the stories that we love most are really the ones that we get connected to the characters of that story. I mean, one of our favorite shows, this is on television on Sunday nights, really, um, is the show Amazing Race on CBS. We love this show. I mean, it's a reality show in that it's real people traveling around the world, competing, you know, for for prizes and all kinds of stuff. And eventually somebody's going to win a million dollars. Corey and I are convinced one day we're going to compete on this show. Um, I don't know if our marriage would last through the duration of that show. But we love that show. But here's where we we really love the seasons where early on in the season we get connected to some of the characters, some of the folks in the show. We like them. We relate to them. They seem like, oh, yeah, we could do that. Or they remind us of our marriage or they're funny or we like them. The seasons that we struggle with in that show or really any other show are the seasons where we get disconnected from the characters. Where we just don't we just there's nobody we like. There's nobody we relate to. We don't understand how they converse with one another. We struggle sometimes with Amazing Race or any other show. And I'm sure the same is for you. If you think right now about your favorite television show or your favorite movie of all time, there's probably one of two things that really connected you to that story, uh, to that movie or to that show. And it's either just the compelling story that exists there. There's just something about the story that you can't get away from, or you get connected to one or more of the characters in that, that show or that movie. You know, we love to watch the characters because we love to watch the internal tension, maybe, and and identify with that because that relates to something we're going through. We love to watch them fall in love or fall out of love. We love to watch them pursue, you know, kind of getting to be the hero of the story. And that's really one of the two things that connects us to these shows or movies or books that we like to like to follow. It's either the, the compelling story or it's the characters that we get connected to. And over the next four weeks, we're going to look at what is probably the greatest story ever told. It's the Christmas story. It's a story that you know. Even if you weren't raised in a a, a faith-based home, even if you didn't really grow up in church, you are familiar in some way with this Christmas story. Christmas, we understand, and we teach our kids, is more than Santa Claus and gifts. It really is the story of the birth of Jesus. And so we're not really going to tell you a new story over the next four weeks. I'm hoping that out of the, the things that we've created here these next four weeks is we're just going to pull some characters out of this story. And we're going to look to these characters and see if there's something in them that we identify with, something that we connect to. And really the kind of the subtitle of the series is Finding Your Role in God's Story. Maybe by looking at some of these characters, we would even ourselves find something that we can 
play a role in in the story that God is writing. And today we're going to begin with a kind of obscure, little mysterious character in this story. He's, he's found in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, if you've got your Bibles, you can flip there with me. We're going to start today in Luke chapter 2, and we're going to begin in verse 9. We're going to read about four or five verses there, looking at a character in this story that we don't have a name for. We don't know his name. Um, and I say he, and I'm, I'm going to use he throughout the day, but um, I'm referring to the angel that appears to the shepherds in the field. Um, we are privy to other angels in the story, in the scriptures, and even Luke chapter 1, which we'll reference in a minute, there is an angel that identifies himself to a character and says, I'm Gabriel. And so we have him, we, we don't know that this is the same angel that appears in Luke chapter 2, but um, this is a really obscure kind of mysterious idea. Even the idea of angels in general, some of that may be uh, just a little unfamiliar to you or something that you're not really sure what you believe, but hopefully today as we look at this story, it'll be something that we can all kind of learn and grow from. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 9. Let's jump right in. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. But the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others. The armies of heaven or maybe other angels there or others from heaven that were joining them. Praising God and saying, glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Now this again is maybe a little different for you because of it being an angel. But I think there's several things to note about this interaction here and about angels in general. This is not the first place even in the book of Luke that we see an angel. I referenced it just a second ago. In Luke chapter 1, we actually see um, some angels a couple of times. But we, we have an angel that identifies himself talking to Zechariah. Zechariah is the father of the character that we read about in Scripture, John the Baptist. And so an angel appears to him and identifies himself as Gabriel. And there's another angel that appears to Mary. Um, we, we have that story in Scripture that talks, hey, you, you know, blessed are you. God's favor is on you. You're going to conceive a child. You're going to have a child. And she's like, how can this be? And says the child is the Holy Spirit uh, living in you. That's going to be, or the child is conceived by the Holy Spirit. It's the Son of God living in you. And so the idea that angels would appear to these characters in the Christmas story is not something necessarily that's new to us, but there is a specific interaction here that happens, which I think is interesting. There's a rhythm to the conversations of these angels to these human beings that we read about in this story. And there's a couple things. This will not be on the screen, but I found this very interesting as I was kind of studying these interactions. We find interactions with angels in Luke chapter 1, verses 13 through 20. Interaction with an angel in Luke chapter 1, verse 28 through 37, and then here in Luke chapter 2, 9 through 14. So we have some angelic conversations, and there is a rhythm and a repetition to the conversation or to the interaction. The first thing that we see in each of these is that there is an appearance of an angel. There's not a voice that speaks out that's invisible at first. There is the appearance of the angel first. Then there is a response of fear from whoever is seeing this angel. 
And that seems like a natural response to me. I'm not uncomfortable with the fact that these human beings would respond in fear. So there's a natural response of fear. Three, there's a word of reassurance from the angel to the individual who is afraid at the appearance. And fourth... There's this divine message in each of those. The angel tells Zechariah about the birth of John the Baptist. The angel tells Mary that she's going to conceive. The angel tells the shepherds that what's going to happen, right? That the baby's wrapped in, in strips of cloth. And so there's this incredible divine message that's presented. And then there's the giving of a sign. There's something that they're going to, they're, they're going to see, they're going to feel, they're going to identify with. There's this sign that is revealed to them. And so there's this repetition and rhythm to these interactions, which I think is important. I think it's really key to understanding some of this interaction so that we don't say, wow, this is just something so mysterious. There's no reasoning to it. There's nothing that we can understand about it. I think that what it shows us that even in the mysterious, as it relates to God, there is order. I think that's important for all of us because there's a lot about faith in God, a God that we cannot see. That sometimes we're left wondering, okay, am I, am I just supposed to just go with anything that happens? I mean, anything that I can't see, anything that's related to the spiritual or the supernatural, am I just supposed to go with whatever? Am I just supposed to kind of just follow the wind and let it happen? I think what this shows us, and there are countless other examples, especially in the New Testament, but even in the Old Testament, that the things of God that even you and I can't see or can't understand or don't seem to be of like the human flesh that you and I may have, there's order in those things. We read about the spiritual gifts of 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. We read about the idea of spiritual gifts. And we've talked about those from this stage. And we've talked about them in other settings. But the idea of spiritual gifts is not something that we should be afraid of. It's the idea that the Holy Spirit, that God through the Holy Spirit gives each of us for a specific purpose. And that those gifts shouldn't necessarily freak you out. They should be an understanding that God is working within the body in order for things to be accomplished. For the good of the body. And the example is given of our actual physical body and how those things work together. There are parts of our body that are unseen, right? There are parts that you and I can't see. Now, medical science is making maybe that less and less of things that if we want to see it, we can see it. But there are things that are hidden because of the skin that we wear on our bodies. And inside of us, there are hidden pieces, but they have an order to them. And they operate in order so that things can be accomplished. And the same things happen here in the, in the supernatural, in the spiritual, in the mysterious, even in these angelic interactions, there is an order to these things. But interestingly to me, and there's so much about it's interesting, so I'm probably going to say that word about a thousand times today. But another interesting thing to me is that the angel appears to shepherds. Now, I, and in my study, and even in growing up hearing this story, I've probably heard a million different ideas about why it was shepherds. And, and here was a few things that I've either grown up hearing or I found in, in, in different studies. I've heard that people thought that it might be because they were lowly, and it followed the narrative of, of, God, of Christ coming in a, in a lowly manner. And so the angel talks to these lowly shepherds who would have been looked down upon in society, and so they deliver the good news to these lowly people. I've also heard... That uh, The shepherds were tending sheep and the sheep were animals that were often utilized in sacrifice. And so the eternal sacrifice is coming. And so the good news is presented to these people who were caring for those who would be tending sheep that would be given a sacrifice. And those sheep would no longer be needed as sacrifice. And all of that makes sense. I've heard others talk about the fact that they were the message was presented to shepherds and Jesus would eventually be the good shepherd. And all of that, man, that sounds incredible. And I don't know why it was shepherds. I don't know why the angel appeared and starts talking to these shepherds in the middle of a field. I have no idea. 
I don't think there's any definitive answer to that question or to that you know, inquiry that we have about why this message was delivered to them. But here's what I do know. When I read through scripture, and this is just another example of it, ultimately it reiterates this idea that God chooses to include people in his story that you and I might not choose. God chooses to include people in his story that you and I might not choose. I want you to think about it. Think about the stories that you know about in scripture. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to know this. Who was God choosing for his story to be accomplished throughout scripture? He's choosing Moses. To go and stand before Pharaoh to set God's people free. And Moses has a stammer. He has a speech impediment. And yet God wants him to go and speak to Pharaoh. So he's choosing someone that maybe you and I would not choose. Now obviously there's parts of Moses' story that make him an ideal candidate. But he is not necessarily the mouthpiece that I would have chosen to to bring about the results that I want. Right? He's choosing in the Old Testament these different people to serve as kings. The, the, the line of some of these people, they're not the line that I would have chosen when I read through the narrative of the story of the families that they come from. I wouldn't have necessarily chosen. Jesus shows up on earth in this lowly manner, which we've referenced, and he chooses then 12 disciples, people that you and I would not necessarily have chosen. The outcast of society, the shunned of the Jewish people, people that have flunked out of rabbinical school. People that were fishermen and tax collectors, not the highbrow society, not the people that were already influential, but people that had very little or to no influence in that day. And it's even referenced later in the New Testament that God would kind of choose these lowly people to confound the wise. So that there would be people that would look down and go, wow, if it's these people that God's chosen and God's working through them and they speak of the mysteries of God, then maybe it is true because if it was somebody that was smart or somebody that was really talented, maybe the the people would look at those people and go, well, maybe they could conjure that up on their own. But God is choosing people that maybe you and I would not choose. And I think here, just even presenting the message of Jesus's coming birth to these shepherds, reiterates this idea that God chooses to include people in his story that you and I might not choose. And guess what? That's good news for everybody in the room. That's good news for everybody in the room because God chooses you. God chooses to include people in his story that you and I might not choose. So we've hit a lot of stuff, but I want us to look now at the actual words that the angel Gave the, the words the angel spoke to the shepherds on that night in the field. There's three main ideas that kind of come out of what was said that I think relate to you and I today. The first thing that the angel said was, fear not, right? Depending on your translation of scripture, it actually may say fear not. Or it could say, based on what we read, the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, No matter what it says in the literal English translation of the the various translations or paraphrases that you may read in your Bible, the main idea here that the angel in this circumstance and those in Luke chapter 1 and the other angelic interactions that we read about in the Gospels, we see that there is a fear not instruction. And again, I think this is a very appropriate response because here, have you ever walked through a field in the dark? If that's a scary place to be. Have you ever walked anywhere in the dark? That's a scary place to be. I walked through a parking garage one night in the dark. Like the lights were out. It was like a scene out of some scary movie. If I was walking through that parking deck, which is kind of a modern day maybe equivalent of this field that these shepherds were standing in, and an angel appeared to me. Listen, 
I'd have just passed out. They're, I mean, I don't know. They could have taken my wallet if it was a fake angel. I can understand an angel appearing and the first words out of their mouth is don't be afraid. Why? Because we would be afraid. We would be afraid. Don't be afraid. Now, here's the interesting thing to me. There's 700 more times. Interesting. Here's another interesting thing to me. I don't think this just has to do with the interaction of an angel and a human in a conversation. I think that these words ring to other circumstances in our life. That the message of the angel that he is delivering to these shepherds is the same message that hopefully you are hearing today. Don't be afraid. In that announcement, the entire order of the world on earth was changed. The circumstances of this earth were changed in that moment. Because literally, since no other time since creation, where there was a meeting of heaven and earth, outside of some of the miracles that we see in the Old Testament, we are about to witness heaven coming to earth. God himself giving of himself to us. And so the reality for us is that we don't have to be afraid any longer. Fear not. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And I don't know what you're afraid of. I know what I'm afraid of. I don't know what your fears are. Maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's simple things. You, you think it's a simple thing. Maybe it's a very complex thing. My dad is one of the most confident people I've ever been around. And I don't mean that in an arrogant, prideful way. I mean, he's just, he's just a confident guy. He's a very positive outlook on life. But I, I was too young to really know it. But he tells the story when I was kind of a small kid. My brother had been born too, and he's a couple years younger. So I was before elementary school still. My dad experienced this season of fear. He doesn't really even know what caused it. it. There wasn't a single event that created fear in him, but something happened. Some One day he woke up and there was just a greater fear than he had the day before. And it seemed to evolve and multiply and kind of just stir up in him. And he just, he was fearful. He was fearful and, and, and he kind of equates it now to maybe some tricks of the enemy on his life. That now he had these two sons and that there was a fear inside of him. That as he looked at us, that he was never going to watch us grow up. He was going to die. He was going to die too soon to ever watch us grow up. And so he went to the doctor. And he had them run every kind of test that he, they could run. And one day his doctor finally looked at him and said, What is it you're afraid of? You tell me what you want to eliminate. We'll run that test. And they continued to run test after test after test. But it wasn't about those tests. And it wasn't about those results because they kept getting positive results. He was fine. He was healthy. It was a fear inside of him. And so his, grand, his parents, my grandparents came. And you would have to know my grandparents. My grandmother is maybe the most loving, adoring lady you've ever met in your entire life. She's about this tall. And she's just a good old holiness, church of God, pastor's wife. I mean, she just loves God and is just passionate about her children and her grandchildren loving God. And so my dad was laying in the recliner in his living room, kind of just, just afraid and just kind of doing life. And he was in his living room and my grandparents walked in the living room. 
And my grandmother just kind of crawled up in the recliner and she just said, I love you, son. I don't know what's going on, but we're going to pray for you. We're going to believe God's best for you. God's going to see you through this thing. My grandfather's just kind of straight and narrow, you know, just meat and potatoes, right? He's never met a dollar he couldn't save, right? I mean, he's just as straight as he goes. He walked into that room. He stuck his finger in my dad's face and he said, here's what your problem is. You're not reading the Bible enough. You're not praying enough. My dad says he wanted him to go and her to stay. (laughs) But as they left later, he decided, okay, maybe they're both right. If God's going to see me through, I'm just going to spend time. And so every night when he would wake up in the middle of the night, just afraid, he would just get up out of bed. One o'clock, two o'clock, five o'clock, it doesn't matter. He would get up out of bed and he would take his Bible into the living room and he would lay it there on the couch and he would sit in the floor of his living room and he would just read the Bible until he fell asleep. And there were countless mornings that he, my mom would come into the living room and find him just asleep with his face in the Bible. And he came across that passage that's in 1 John that says, perfect love casts out all fear. And he said that was really, that did the trick. That he understood that if he really knew that God loved him, he wouldn't be afraid. Doesn't mean that God's a magic lamp, genie in a bottle, any kind of formula to kind of get to the love of God. It just means that if I know that God really loves me, that I don't have anything to be afraid of. Not really. And I don't know what you're afraid of. Maybe it's something like that. Maybe you've walked seasons like that. Maybe you never have. Maybe fear is something that you regularly struggle with. Or maybe fear is not something that you, you wrestle with from time to time. But the words of the angel to shepherds in a field are the words that I present to you today. Because of Jesus coming to earth, you don't have to be afraid. Fear not. The second thing that the angel said that night was that there was good news of great joy. The actual words that we read said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy. Now, there's a lot that you could unpack here. There's some interesting things, if you will. There's two things, really, and I want to start with the last one. He says there's good news that will bring great joy. And guess what? There's some Christians that didn't get that memo. I believe that if we have heard the good news that is supposed to bring us great joy, then those that believe in the good news should be some of the most joyful people you've ever met. And yet there are Christians that I know that are some of the most bitter, ungrateful, unjoyful, if that's even a word, mean, angry people that I've ever encountered in my entire... I know people that are atheists that are nicer than some Christians. And I don't even see how that's possible. Because we say that we believe the good news that is supposed to bring about great joy. Now, this doesn't mean that we fake it. It doesn't mean that we, my mom used to say, fake it till you make it. Like, just fake being happy till you finally get happy. That's not what I'm talking about. But there should be not a happiness, but a joy that resides in us that comes out of us because of the power of the good news. And so my challenge for you, this one's free. This isn't even a part of it. My challenge to you today is that if you evaluate yourself or the person that's riding home with you today, you give them permission to evaluate you. If you are not joyful, you may not understand the story. You may need to go back and read the story again 
and figure out how you get the joy of the story to be the joy in you. Because that's a big piece. That's an interesting thing to me about what the angel said. The second thing that I think comes out of this is that it's good news. Now, the phrase good news here, the verb form of this phrase is, is, a, is a phrase that would be to preach the good news. It's the word that we really get for evangelize. So that, that Greek word, the original language here about good news is really to evangelize or to preach the good news. The noun form of that is just the word gospel. And so when we, when we talk about the gospel, not the gospels necessarily, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John of the New Testament, but the gospel, the story of Christ, the story maybe of the Bible. Th- this is really what the angel is presenting to them. He's saying, I bring to you the gospel. I bring to you what you are to evangelize about. Now, evangelize maybe is a word that some of us aren't familiar with. That's a word I heard a lot growing up in church. In, 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 in our context, in our church, we, we talk about helping people live a Christ-centered life. That's kind of our mission and vision. And it's found out of the great commission and the great commandment of loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Loving our neighbor as ourselves, and going into all the world making disciples. That's, that's a, all that hodgepodge. We want to help people live a Christ-centered life. And that really comes through, one of, through, through four things. We talk about loving God, making friends, serving others, and sharing the story. Now, the sharing the story piece of this is the evangelism part. Loving God is about corporate worship, which we do. Making friends is about life groups, which we do. Serving others is about ministry teams and service, which we do. And then sharing the story is the evangelism piece of that. It's taking the gospel message and proclaiming that. Now, it's not necessarily telling the story of the Bible. That's not necessarily what we're talking about. Because the stories of the Bible, while they are true and they are profound, the stories of the Bible, the Bible is a collection of stories of God's interaction with people. And guess what? God is interacting with you. And so the story that you have to tell is not the story of someone else. It's the story of God in you. Pastor Mark says it this way, that everyone has a Jesus story. We are a Jesus story in the making. And so the things that people could argue and debate with you about for days, they could argue with you about the validity of Scripture. They could argue with you about if it's a young earth or an old earth or where's the, when did the dinosaurs happen. They could argue with you about all kinds of things that you may not have the answer to and I might not either. But no one can argue with me about the story of God at work in me. They can't argue with me about that. Because all I'm, all I'm telling is my story. They can argue with me all kinds of things that they want to about the facts and the figures and the things that we may not understand. And I'm not saying that there aren't good answers to those things. I'm not saying they have the right answers and we don't. But I'm saying there's no, there's no weight given to that. I can tell my story. And they can't argue with the work of God in me. This is what the angel's saying. The angel's saying, I bring to you good news. I bring to you the gospel. And the gospel, and I've referenced it a couple times. I mean, I'm in a Christmas mood already. It's December 1st. The gospel is that before you and I could do anything, God came to earth. And he lived on earth and experienced every kind of emotion that you and I have and will experience so that we would have someone that can relate to what we're going through. But ultimately, it's about far more than just an emotional connection. 
It's about him then dying on a cross, being perfect, blameless, but wearing our sin on him, on the cross, so that you and I could be saved. That's good news. Somebody needs to tell that story. Somebody needs to put the details of their life in that story and say, listen, I was broken. I was a miserable failure of a human being, maybe. Or I wasn't a miserable failure. I was very successful, but I was chasing purpose and identity in the things of this world that will pass away. And then God stepped into my story and changed it. Gave me purpose and identity and meaning and forgiveness and acceptance and love and forgiveness and grace and mercy that I couldn't earn and that I didn't deserve. That is the good news. And if you ever get a hold of that, it will bring you great joy. I think where we lose our joy is when we forget the good news. I think where we lose the joy is when we forget our good news. And guess what? Some of you aren't so sure that you can tell that story. But today's title is The Messenger. The angel had a message to deliver. He was the messenger. And here's the reality for you in this room and for me. Your mess can become your message. Your mess can become your message. The details of your life that you're ashamed of, that you're afraid of, that you're uncertain how God could use... That is your message. That is the good news. That is the gospel. That God stepped into your mess and gave you a message to tell. The third thing that the angel said to those shepherds was that it was for all people. He said, I I bring you good news. He said, fear not. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. Now, this goes right back to what we talked about with the angel even speaking to shepherds in the first place. But God chooses people that you and I sometimes wouldn't choose. Luke is the writer of this story that we're reading in Luke chapter 2. I know it's very creative. But Luke also wrote another book. He wrote the book of Acts. And even though the audience primarily of the, the book of Luke, maybe not just the audience, but the characters and the interaction in the book of Luke are primarily the Jewish people and the Jewish story and Jesus coming in to this Jewish culture that was, that was overshadowed maybe even by the Roman culture and the, 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 the things that were happening in the larger culture. Luke is also recording the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is where the story gets outside of just the Jewish arm of of life and just the Jewish tradition and it gets into the Gentiles. And and unless you have a a Jewish descent here in this room, that means that you and I get to experience the gospel, the good news, because of what Luke was recording in the book of Acts. And really kind of the linchpin piece of this was in Acts chapter 15. I encourage you to read it. Fascinating. Acts chapter 15, there is this idea now that we're at this, this climax, this pinnacle point of the gospel is just starting. I mean, there's just some little tremors. There's just these little whispers of the gospel getting outside of the Jews and into the Gentiles. And now a bunch of the Jewish leaders are coming together and saying, okay, what do we do with these Gentile people now when they get access to the gospel? Do they have to keep the same traditions that we've had to keep? Do they have to approach God in the same way that we've had to approach God? There's this incredible conversation that's happening there among these people. But ultimately the result of that conversation 
is that everybody has access to the gospel. That the good news that brings great joy is for all people. And and I don't know how God writes his story. I like to write. I write some blog posts. I wrote a book. I love to write. But I love to tell pieces of the story before you know the reader, before you know that it's coming. It's, it's a technique called foreshadowing, right? We see it in, in, our, in, our, in our, if we look back and we watch a movie a second time or we watch a television show, we can see where the, the writer might have been hinting at what was to come. And I don't want to put this on God because this is not in the Bible. This is just me reading this. But I would love to think that God is smirking a little bit in heaven as the angel tells the shepherds that this story is to be for all people, knowing that in the next book that we would read in the Bible in Acts, that it's actually going to be for all people. That even though the angel is telling the shepherds and the the next kind of 30 years or so, there is the idea that it's still confined to the Jewish people. That God in his sovereignty knows that this story will get outside of just the Jewish people and it would now be available to all people. And that when the angel tells the shepherds all people, he really means all people. And that includes me and you. That everyone has access to the gospel. God chooses who gets the message. And the message is that Jesus is for everyone. Jesus is for everybody. When I think about us as a church, I think about us as a campus of, a, of an existing church. It would break my heart if we ever developed a mindset or an attitude or even this underlying undertone kind of culture that, that I've seen. I worked at two country clubs when I was growing up. I was one of those cart guys that would spray the carts down and get the golf clubs for the members and put them on the golf carts. And I I loved it. I got to do it so I could play free golf. But the country club is a really cool place if you're a member. If you're not a member, it's just a place you kind of look in and wonder what it would be like if you ever got to belong there. And there are some people that treat the gospel that way. That the gospel's for us. It's not for you outsiders over there. It's for us. We're members here. The day this becomes that, I'm gone. It's not what I signed up for. This is for everybody. The message that you have and that I have is for everybody. It's good news. That brings great joy for everyone that you know. For everybody that I know. This is not a us for and no more. This is a come whosoever. It's for everybody. It's for anybody. If it wasn't for everybody, then it wouldn't have been for me. If it wasn't for everybody, it wouldn't have been for you. But somebody somewhere knew that you were included in all people. And so they let you in on the message. It's for everybody. 
So here's how we're going to kind of conclude today. I want us to look at the three things that the angel told to those shepherds and see really what that resulted in. And then we're going to take communion. We do this pretty regularly around here. It's something that we love to do because it's one of the really specific examples of things that we can do to know that we're doing something Jesus did. I mean, as Christians, as these little Christ, as these followers of Christ, we're always trying to figure out how to live like Jesus lived. And this is a clear example of knowing that we can do something that Jesus did. But when the angel showed up and said, fear not, you know what he was delivering to them? Peace. Fear not. Have peace. When the angel showed up and said, I have good news of great joy. You know what he was giving to them? Hope. And when he said it's for all people, he was giving to them this sense of belonging. He showed up and said, peace on earth. Right? He gave to them hope. Because they were an oppressed people. And the Savior was being born. And this Savior that was being born, the story of that Savior is that He includes all people into His family. Those that believe can come in and be a part of the family of God. And as it says later in the New Testament, that we can take on the same sonship that He possesses to be the sons and daughters of God. And I don't know what your story is. But when I, when I read these three things, when I look at the, the message of the angel, this incredible messenger that came to share with these shepherds and he delivers this idea of peace and hope and belonging, I see in our culture a need for somebody to tell that story. I would assume... I would surmise, I would guess that in your home, somebody needs the message of peace or hope or belonging. I would assume that the place where you work and you show up tomorrow, somebody needs to have a fear not moment. They need to hear some good news. They need to know that there's a place for them to belong. You and I have a story to tell. We are messengers with a message. Finding your role in God's story is not just about reading an angel that appears to shepherds in a field. It's understanding that those of us who have been given the message, who have believed and responded in some way, now possess a message that needs to be shared. So I'm going to ask our host to come now to get in place. These volunteers that are going to serve us communion. Band's going to sing a song that's probably familiar to you. If not, the words will be on the screen. And they're going to pass these elements to you in just a moment when we pray. And I'm going to ask you to hold those elements in your hand. We're not going to take those until we come back to take them together. They're going to sing about the greatness of God. The splendor of the king. This incredible majesty of who he is. That he's the name above all names. 
that everything that we've conjured up, everything we've tried to create, He's greater than those things, those names. The greatness of God that we can sing about and we can know. And you're going to be holding in your hands a little cracker piece and a little cup of juice. And I want you to look at those elements and I want you to know that there's more than a cracker and a cup in your hand. That you hold in your hands the elements, the beginning of a story. That no matter what you're facing, you don't have to be afraid anymore because of what you hold in your hand. No matter how dark it seems, you can have hope because of what you hold in your hand. No matter how alone you feel today, you can know that there's a place of belonging for you because God sent His Son to earth for you. So you're going to hold in your hands these elements and know that this is the beginning of a story. A story that you and I have to share. Let's pray together before we distribute the elements. God, we thank You for your story. We thank you for the story that you're writing in the world. The story that includes your son. It includes some shepherds in a field and includes an angel that delivers a message. And today it includes us. But now in just a moment, we're going to hold these elements in our hands. And we know that this is the act that you did with your disciples to tell them about what was to come. But we can know what already happened. That the bread represents your body and the juice represents your blood. And because those two things were separated on the cross, we don't have to be afraid anymore. We can have joy and hope. We can know that we belong. Because you did the work. God, in the next few minutes, work in our hearts. Let us know just how great you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Right where you sit, just bow your head, close your eyes just for a moment if you've not already done so. Nobody's looking around. We're going to take these elements in just a moment, but if you would say to me today, Jeremy, I need to be included in the story of God. I'm not a believer. I need Christ to be the Savior of my life. I know that I'm not living in a way that honors God. I'm living on my own. He's not the name above all names for me because I've got all kinds of other things and other pursuits that are higher than Him. And I need Him to forgive me today of my sin, be the Lord and Savior of my life. And I want to acknowledge that today. Would you lift your hand? Put it right back down. Thank you so much. Put it right back down. Now, if you would say today, Jeremy, listen, I'm a believer. I I love God. I believe God. But I need some aspect of this message to ring truer in my life than it does. I, I need to fear not. I need the perfect love that casts out all fear that you talked about. I need that love to be realized in me. I need to to just fear not. I need the peace that passes all understanding that can only come from God to just rest on me. Would you lift your hand? Thank you so much. You can put it back down a lot of hands. If you would say, Jeremy, listen, this good news of great joy, this idea that there is hope for me, I I need hope 
it's hopeless, it's dark, it's bleak, would you lift your hand? I need the hope that comes from God. Thank you. You can put it back down. And if you would say to me today, Jeremy, when it said, when the angel said to the shepherds, for all people, and it creates this sense of belonging and inclusion, I'm so alone. I'm so, I'm so, I don't feel like I've got anybody in my life I can talk to. I feel isolated. I feel alone and I just need God's assurance. I just need his presence to be real to me. But really, I need God to bring some people into my life. Good people, good godly relationships into my life that I would know he's at work in and through me. Would you lift your hand? Put it right back down. And I want to pray one more time for all these people that have lifted their hand before we take communion today. God, I thank you for every person that lifted their hand today. There were a lot of us. That this message of Christmas, this message of God come to earth in the form of Jesus Christ, this announcement from an angel to a bunch of shepherds in a field, it rings true with us even today. That we want to be a part of your story for some of us. We want to be a part of the things that you're doing and we need to acknowledge you as Savior. There are others of us that we need peace in our life. We need to fear not. And so today, God, I pray for peace and rest for those who are afraid. I don't know what they're afraid of, but I know you're greater than those things. I don't know what they're uncertain about or they doubt or they have anxiety about God, but I know that you are a peace that can rest on their head right now and can calm their minds. That you can bring peace into their life as they wait for news that they're uncertain about, as they have relational things that they don't know how it's going to play out. God, would you help them now to experience your peace? God, for those that raise their hand that need hope, it's dark, it's bleak. They don't know how it's all going to work out. Maybe it's related to fear or maybe it's not. But they need a hope to know that you are working all things together for the good of those who love you. God, to let them experience the hope that you are writing a story with their life. God, for those of us who lifted our hands today that we're, we're alone. We're just lonely in a room full of people all day. Some of us just feel like there's nobody else here but us. Nobody we can connect to. Nobody that knows us. Nobody that wants to know us. Nobody that can relate to us. God, would you help them now to experience the comfort of your presence, to know that you know them, that you know them by name, that you formed them in their mother's womb. But God, you know them intimately. You want them to have relationship with you and to have relationship with others. And so God, now bring people into their life that will encourage them and lift them up, build them up, strengthen them. God, I pray for them now. I pray for these newly forming relationships. God, you would do the work there. Let them open themselves up and be vulnerable. Risk getting hurt even to find deep abiding relationships with those that you bring into their lives. And ultimately, God, we thank you for the story of your son. That this message needs a messenger. And that God, though the message has always been the same, it was the same then, it's the same now. You need a messenger to deliver the story of the truth of who you are and what you're doing in the world. God, let us be those people. Just before Jesus went to the cross, he gathered those closest together with him, his disciples. 
and he blessed some bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. So as you take this morning and eat of this cracker, this wafer, know that you're eating that that symbolizes the body of Jesus Christ. Let's eat together today. says that in like manner he took the cup said this is my blood it's the blood of the new covenant it's not the blood of sheep not the blood of animals that were constantly sacrificed to make it right standing with God this is the eternal sacrifice as Romans says the sacrifice once for all time so that you and I can be made right so that you and I can be forgiven so that you and I can be healed of sickness Let's take the cup today knowing that we're drinking that that symbolizes the blood of Jesus Christ. God, today these elements that we have taken, they're more than just a cracker and juice. They are the beginnings of a story. The birth of your son Jesus culminated on earth with his death. And the elements of remembrance of his death allow us to have peace hope and to belong. God, let us today be messengers of that story. That when we leave this place, we walk into a world that needs to hear the stories. So God, let us tell our story. Let us tell the gospel. Let us preach the good news. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.